Hi there, I'm Keith Ponywise, and this week on the podcast, I'm joined by Sil Michelin and my colleague Stan Farmer from a remote, hidden location out in out in Middleton. How are you feeling today, Stan? I'm a I'm a seven today, so that's pretty good. Uh, in terms of looks, or in terms of how you're feeling? <laughs> oh well, obviously, in terms of how I'm feeling, because um, looks wise, yeah. you're you're a ten in my book, Stan. Oh well. Gee, I don't know how to respond to that. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> uh, no, so, just, just like everything else in COVID, you, uh, you know, you get a, a cough or two, and you want to isolate just in case, right? Let's be safe out there. Yeah, I think uh, you know that's that's one of the the things that we've really tried to do is is be extra extra cautious. So uh, glad glad you're you're taking those precautions, Stan, and hope you feel feel better. Um, one of the things that we were talking about before uh, we got on air uh, was the idea of, of backpacking around Europe, which was uh, when I was in college or just after college was sort of a rite of passage. Uh, for Americans, uh, our own little mini version of the 18th century grand tour, and uh, asked uh, Stan and Sill if they had had done something similar. And I, I think the longest I went living out of my backpack may have been about a month over over winter break one year. Um, but d- did you guys ever ever do anything like that? No, I think I backpacked to Daytona for spring break, but that was about uh, as uh, adventurous as I was in college. And still, anything, you know? Not really. I mean, so growing up in Europe, that was not really a rite of passage in the same way that it might be here in the U.S. But uh, I did do the occasional, you know, trip to, you know, European cities like London and Amsterdam. Uh, but nothing that would be like a month-long uh, experience. In you know, grew up in Europe, you just, you just uh, graduate high school and then you go straight to college and, you know, you don't you don't get to have a gap here where you have fun and uh, travel the world. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I uh, that that was sort of after college, maybe I guess uh, I don't know, uh, maybe during college. Um, I was aimless for a long a long while, um, you know. But yeah, the the UK tradition of, of the gap year. You did you did stand though get to spend some quality time in in the UK right when you were you were, uh, you know, a teenager. Well, that's true. The summer after. <clears throat> My uh, my freshman year of college, I uh, spent the uh, the summer in the Midlands of of uh, England with uh, my grandmother, who was British. Uh, my father was a World War II baby, so American GI dad. Um, my grandmother was uh, a botanist at the uh, Royal Kew um, during the Great War of uh, the Deuce, I guess. Yeah, the, the Great War is the first one. The great, I, I, I caught myself there and tried to <laughs> clarify that we're talking about the deuce here. But, um, yeah, so uh, I, that's not quite like ba- backpacking around with your friends or, or just uh, making new friends. Um, it was uh, uh, my grandmother and her uh, best friend from uh, Reading University days uh, touring uh, uh, palaces and, royal, and, and botanical gardens around the country. So, basically, I got my... my, my, my my young angst on by the time they went to bed at six o'clock and I'd, I'd climb the, the wall of the backyard and make my way into Evesham and, for and, uh, hijinks. Yeah. And sneak into the, into the pub, which was back then, I think pubs were only open to what, nine or 10 PM. Uh, you know, I, I it's, a, it's a good question. I, I, I remember, uh, 
that they did seem to close early. I don't remember what time. And I you know, remember uh, on a couple of occasions, um, you know, going off with some, uh, some others uh, for a little after party uh, fun. You know. that, that's enough information on the topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I think, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll keep it family Just, friendly, Stan. <laughs> it, it, it. Um, but fair enough. You know, uh, the, the reason I, I was thinking about this is because really the backpacking around Europe was one of my first experiences with with uh, currency, and the way I always, you know, th- and when I was backpacking around was was 1999, which was kind of an a, important watershed era in the in the history of currency, uh, because 99 into 2000, when I when I started kind of traveling around Europe, uh, I spent my junior year abroad in in Spain, and when I started traveling around, you know, you you went to Portugal, different different currency from Seville, uh, you you went to France, you know, you had the franc. You went to to the UK. Still, you have the pound, but you know, kind of bouncing around. And you, you, you know, I remember thousand lira notes and and things like that. And you know, one of the things that you were always trying to do was was configure. Okay, you know, one, am I getting a good deal or am I getting ripped off? Uh, and you know, usually, I'll be honest. I think I was getting ripped off. And two, like you know, how much do things cost relative in these in these various places? And you know, one of the things I keep returning to is is the Big Mac index, and that was one of the the ways that I noticed it was oh my goodness, a, a Whopper costs you know the same in in dollars as in pounds, and the pound is currently one point five you know to the dollar. That means I'm paying. Oh my goodness! A lot for this hamburger, um, you know, uh, was how you started thinking about it. But uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we've seen of late, and one of the the big concerns for our clients is: Are we going to return to these old levels of currency? Because over the last ten years, it's been a really good time for clients outside of the United States who you know maybe receiving Social Security in dollars, being paid in dollars, have pensions in dollars, have investments in dollars, and so what we've seen over the last uh, couple of weeks is a, a real shift, uh, Stan and Sill, in, in in the value of the dollar versus. Uh, a global basket of currencies. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we've had kind of this era of the strong dollar that we've been in for, for a good few years. And, you know, at time it felt like it was, it was never going to end. And I don't know that we can say for sure that it's ended, um, but the dollar has softened a little bit in the last few weeks and months, uh, which, you know, to some extent is, 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 is welcome. Um, but can also hurt you, like you highlighted, depending on your situation. And certainly if you're deriving a lot of your income from uh, from uh, Social Security, for example, I think it's a great example. Um, yeah, that will hurt a lot. And, and Stan, what, you know, in, in watching the, the kind of value of the dollar and, and so on, what have you seen over the, the past couple of months? And, and you know, what, what sort of story do you think is we might be able to tell about the, the changing fluctuations of, of the dollar? Well, I mean, look, currencies are very unpredictable. So, like, I always feel like this is the, these questions are are in one way a trap, right? But, but, but I, I saw know. in the Wall Street there was a Wall Street Journal <laughs> article about currencies lately, and and someone co- compared uh, currency trading to financial astrology. I think yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you but, but preserve if you, your sanity to just don't don't do currency trading. Just but but if you yeah I mean look if you if you if you read the 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 tea leaves here um, you know the the dollar's gone from from uh, 
you know, 0.89 um, euro uh, in uh, on July 1st, all the way down to uh, about 0.82 and a half euro. So you're buying a lot less euros with those dollars now uh, than you were, um, you know, I guess a little less than six months ago. So there really has been over the, the past months uh, a, a pretty uh, dramatic change. And, uh, you know, now you're getting into the, the area of, you know, technical analysis. I mean, it has the long-term trend uh, for a dollar strength. Um, it, you know, we've, we've clearly had some retracement here, is it, but is it a break in trend and perhaps the, the, the start of a new trend? And the answer to that question is always, well, we'll know uh, later, right? <laughs> eventually, <laughs> yeah. eventually, we'll know if that was, you know, if uh, the summer of uh, of 2020 was was an inflection point, right, for uh, you know, and a high water mark for uh, the dollar. And uh, if we don't see dollar weakness, uh, um, you know, in the in the in the coming years, it wouldn't shock me, right? Because w- when we think about Historically, um, you know, we the the upswing in the dollar was a you know a very long trend. We know that that you know mean regression in these assets in you know in, in currencies is uh, it, you know would would lead one to you know assume that uh, you know it can't go on forever, right? And um, you know at least uh, at least. Something like this, you know, you could see, you know, a counter trend against the dollar, you know, persist, right? Because of the length of time that the that the trend was in place. Once it's perceived that that trend has reversed itself, you know, then then momentum for the euro versus the dollar, um, you know, could could gain steam. Now, obviously, there's a lot of you know economic and political and. and uh, uh, monetary uh, uh, factors that weigh into how a currency is going to ch- chain, you know, trade. Yeah. And, so, and, well, and, and you know, so that, that's, those are, there's a lot of unknowns, right? Yeah. Which is why it's astrology. <laughs> well, I was going to say over the, you know, what you're describing, you know, could uh, drive things over the, the near term, but in, in longer term, still, I think there are, there are, you know, we, we talk about it in the short term as, as sort of astrology, but in the long term, there are fundamentals that drive currency valuation. You know, one of the things that kept the dollar strong over the last uh, several years was the spread between interest rates in the United States and the, and the rest of the world was, was pretty big, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think interest rate differential has been a, a major reason why people have been looking for U.S. assets. And certainly if you look in a number of countries around Europe and you look at their yield curves and, you know, you look at countries like Germany and Switzerland where even a 50-year bond is uh, trading at a negative interest rate. Uh, In comparison, you know, the U.S. actually looks good because, believe it or not, we still have positive nominal yields. Um, So I think that's been a major factor. Um, I also think so. Obviously, the strength of the the U.S. economy has been a major factor, and I think you know the U.S. and the U.S. dollar also enjoys a very special status, really, in the global economy because it's a global reserve currency, right? So, so it really is a, a unique uh, currency asset, and um, and you know, will that change? Um, you know, I, I I don't know because I think it's a 
that status is very much entrenched uh, in, in many ways. But I think increasingly you're seeing, you know, initiatives out of Russia and, and China um, where increasingly they are trying, for example, to settle commodities trades in, in different currencies and things of that nature. So I think over time we're going to see countries um, come up with just ideas and measures to try and be less dependent on, on the U.S. dollar as a, as a settlement currency and as a, as a, 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 a debt uh, issuance currency. And, and I think over time, you know, that could, uh, that could have a big impact. But these are, you know, long-term trends uh, that are going to take years and potentially decades to unfold. Yeah, and so when you talk about the the U.S. dollar um, as a reserve currency, you mentioned some of the ways. So if I you know go and buy commodities, um, you know if I'm buying a uh, hundred pounds of of metal from you, um, and you're in in France and I'm you know in in uh, UK, I buy that metal from you in in the U.S., which means there's always going to be a certain amount of demand for the U.S. dollar that other currencies won't have. Likewise, uh, you, you know, you had mentioned as well, still um, emerging markets. A lot of markets, they issue dollar-based bonds, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think according to uh, the, the BIS, the Bank of International Settlement, there's $12 trillion approximately of U.S. dollar-denominated debt outside the U.S., right? So um, that's a lot of money. And that is debt that needs to be uh, you know, repaid and, and serviced. And so that results in a constant demand and need for dollars outside the U.S., right? And so that's why when you have a spike in volatility, when you have a crisis like we had in, uh, in, in Q1 uh, this year, one of the ways that it materializes is, is in a, a shortage of U.S. dollars overseas is, you know, as long as you know, trade is flowing and business is good, it's fairly easy for uh, foreign countries and foreign governments and foreign companies to get their hands on U.S. dollars. But when all of that dries up, uh, it becomes really difficult and, and, and the debt still has to be repaid and serviced, right? So you, you, you get a sort of scramble for dollar and, uh, and you see the U.S. dollar spike, as we saw, um, and that's a big part of why, you know, the, the Federal Reserve came up with measures like the, um, the, uh, the, the uh, currency swap lines that they put in place with a number of uh, different central banks around the world. It's to address that dollar shortage, right, and ease the liquidity uh, strain on those, uh, on those foreign countries. And, uh, you know, uh, Stan, we, we talked about a, a little bit about, um, you know, uh, the, the dangers our clients may face if they have cash flows in, in uh, U.S. dollars coming to them. What are, what are some of the steps that we've, you know, already taken for clients or clients uh, should be aware of uh, in terms of, of protecting their, their interests? Right. So, I mean, this is the currency is without a doubt, one of the more important factors in terms of asset allocation um, and in terms of uh, how your, your, excuse me, your non-U.S. assets are going to uh, perform in your portfolio, right? So um, when you look at a client that's living in Europe or anywhere outside of the United States, especially if they live in a country that's not ha- that doesn't have a reference currency that's pegged 
to the dollar, okay, then we're going to... And, and just to real quick, out. what do you mean by a reference currency that's pegged to the dollar? Well, I mean, okay, so it, you know, there, there are certain countries where they don't let their exchange rates float, right? They, 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 they tie their currency directly to uh, the value of the dollar. And it's constant versus the dollar. So in other words, then if the, if the euro strengthens against the dollar, the euro strengthens against their currency and vice versa. So for, for, for those clients, um, you know, that adds some stability to, you know, their, their purchasing power when they're saving in dollars, right? But for clients that, that don't have a currency that they're consuming in, pegged to the dollar, well, and I'll just say those kind of currencies, uh, sorry to interrupt there, Stan, are, are yeah. particularly uh, prevalent in like South America, right? Well, yeah. Or, or you know, I, 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 from my own experience, you know, the difference between living in, in – I spent time in, in the UAE and, and Portugal, right? So um, the, the dirham in, in, in the UAE is pegged to the dollar, right? Um, and then obviously Portugal, you know, you're using euros. So one of those currencies floats, uh, you know, it's exchange and the, and the other does not float. So it's, it's dollar, you know, it, it's, it was consistently 3.65 dirhams to the dollar. And mm-hmm. it was from the time I w- arrived to the time I left. And I'm pretty sure it's, uh, it's there right now. Right. <laughs> so, um, but, but again, getting back to, you know, um, portfolio construction for clients that have uh, the risk that a declining dollar will, um, will, will, will hurt their purchasing power, their consumption power, right? We need to think about ways to mitigate those risks. And one of the ways to mitigate that risk is to hold more assets um, that are essentially non-dollar assets, right? And and for clients in particular regions, then we can get a little more granular and overweight uh, their exposures uh, to those assets that uh, are really valued in their consumption currency, right? Um, so, for example, a client in the United Kingdom, okay, it, it's it's not it's not a euro uh, um, based country. It's a, a, a British pound sterling based currency, right? So, um, someone in the UK should have more UK assets in their portfolio to the extent that you can give those to them. That should be an overweight for that client because it it mitigates that currency risk that dollar weakness is going to eat into their consumption power of their savings. Right? And, and you know, one thing that we should be clear, and, and I'll, I'll pass this back to either one of you, Stan or Sill, to, to clients, is that even though in certain cases assets may be uh, showing up on their balance sheet in dollars, they're still uh, GBP or, or euro assets in some sense, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, um, and you're right. So we use a lot of U.S. exchange-traded funds, for example, that if a client looks at their statement at the end of the month, they'll see a dollar amount, but the underlying assets, obviously, within the fund uh, could be denominated in any currency around the world, really, depending on the fund. And, uh, and so we're able to achieve global diversification for clients, really, out of 
U.S. brokerage accounts, and we can do so very efficiently. And then in other you know situations, we we can also work with clients who may want a, a fixed uh, you know stream of dividends in their local currency to to use uh, one of our other custodians to put together a direct index, and they can get paid in in you know dividends in euros, so they don't have to touch the principal. So we have you know a couple of tools I think in place uh, to to sort of mitigate those. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring up is you know even if it's not affecting. Uh, people directly, what are the the bigger effects of a weakening dollar on, on the global economy? Um, you know, when a, and so we were talking a little bit before we started about you. You think this can be a good thing for the global economy? I mean, yes, I I, I really do. I think I think the world needed a weaker dollar. I think the world still needs a weaker <clears throat> dollar. And if you think about emerging markets, for example, you know they're they're really in the business of borrowing in, in, in dollars and then selling their commodities and their goods uh, in, in local currencies, right? And that's a big part of the reason their finances are not in, in, in such great shapes, right? And I think uh, a weaker dollar in a world that is over-leveraged, uh, and given that that leverage is, is issued, is denominated mostly in U.S. dollars, I think that helps a lot of people. I think it helps emerging markets are an obvious example uh, I also think it helps a lot of companies around the world that have a lot of uh, U.S. dollar-denominated debt. Um, on the on the flip side, you know, the one you know, and I've read some worries on on various you know from various opinion writers that, and it's a it's a bigger concern is that uh, an you know weakening U.S. dollar will uh, for net exporters, Japan, you know, the eurozone, uh, perhaps hurt. Their exports. Um, you know, one of the the examples is, you know, if if a BMW and back when Ford made cars, a Ford Taurus were both thirty five thousand USD. Which one are you going to buy? Well, once the dollar weakens again, you know, the the BMW gets a little bit more expensive, and then you know you may not buy the the BMW, and it's going to hurt exporters. Um, and and Absolutely. now you know the U.S. doesn't make as much stuff I- internally, so we may might not need to protect American. You know the 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 strong dollar is is a little bit, you know, uh, or a weaker dollar helps uh, American manufacturers as well, but fewer manufacturers. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree with all of that, absolutely. And I think certainly if you're a, a German or, or Japanese car maker, you're going to have to find other ways to make your, your products more attractive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan, any other thoughts on, on sort of the effect of, of the currency on the, on the, the globe, uh, on, the, on the world, on, on the economy, as maybe COVID you know, recovery takes, <clears throat> takes place? Well, I, I, I think that, um, you know, it's... Obviously, there's, you know, things that can be difficult for the production economy can be positive for the consumption economy. So, um, you know, the uh, you don't want the dollar to get so expensive that uh, that that it it, uh, it it makes things, you know, difficult for people that that need access to to uh, to the U.S. products. And you don't want um, you know, to devalue your currency into uh, oblivion, so to speak, which seems to be what the central banks of the of the world, you know, have always been trying to do, right? So, <laughs> I think that that uh, that 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 a little bit of of stability is, as in all things, you know, generally good for uh, the the 
the the global economy and and perhaps a a normalizing dollar will be that type of 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 stabilizing force that uh that that can you know on the balance be helpful for the global economy but it's you know the global economy is made up of so many little economies that you know there's going to be pockets of of dislocations whenever you see a move like this and the dollar starting to weaken so it's 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 bad for for exporters as you mentioned um but um for uh for for company for for countries um that uh, that do a lot of trade with the united states i think that it could be you know in, in many ways you know a benefit and for the profits of of uh foreign companies it can be a benefit too by the way yeah, no, I, I think uh, that's that's exactly right. Um, what you what you mentioned there, Stan, and and kind of the last item uh, before we we let folks go here, and and we'll you know obviously this is an important topic to our clients, and we'll you know uh, come back to it. I just you know saw a quote today from Juan Perez, who's a FX trader, uh, in an Axios article, and he said you know quote so many risk items to watch, it'll make your head spin. Um, and I think that's really when you talk about currency, you're talking about the the myriad ways that our interconnected current global economy functions and that you know a, a butterfly flapping its wings in south america can uh change change situations in currency markets all over the place and so right. you know uh short term you know we we advise against you know looking at short term solutions because uh it's hard to be right and they're very very expensive even if you are right, uh, you have to be right by a, a great deal. And instead, as as we've talked about, you know, planning and, and that long term strategy of how you do asset allocation to to protect your your assets um, is really where we we side on these questions. But we know our clients always have have questions about these things, um, and you know, happy to uh, address those. Um, I also think you know at some point we'll probably do uh, another one of these podcasts uh, if if you know, depending on what we see in the currency markets, aimed more at, at clients in the U.S. who, you know, still have global exposure. Why do I have global exposure in my portfolio, et cetera, um, and, and talk a little bit about that. But wanted to thank you both for, for your time and uh, Stan. Keith, um, can, I, can, I, uh, can I just, uh, like, give one little additional closing thought for I think that might be useful for listeners and clients alike? Yeah, go right ahead. And listening clients, so that, that 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 subset, that intersection as well. Look, the the when we think about um, you know diversification, currency is a very big part of that diversification because assets, you know, stocks tend to be correlated, right? Stock markets tend to, I'm sure everybody notices this. They tend to go up together, they tend to go down together, but the currency fluctuation is what gives you true uh, diversification, or it's a very important element of that. The other thing that I would like part with here is to, to just state what I think should be the obvious, but is one of the biggest investment mistakes I see out there in, uh, in, in, in the investment community. And that is um, the idea that currency itself is an investment. It is an investment, I guess, cash in the bank in the currency that you think is going to do well may feel like an investment, but it will prove to be a terrible investment. Okay, 
Um, when we talk about currency, uh, things that we do to mitigate currency risk, uh, buying a currency is generally uh, not even you know contemplated by by us professionals because all currencies lose value over time. It's something called inflation, right? And uh, cash under the mattress in euros, yen, dollars, etc., is a losing investment. Okay, buying things uh, that uh, inject productivity, which I'm talking about, risk assets uh, that have the uh, potential to appreciate in any old currency, right, is a, a much better thing to do with your idle funds, right? Let them grow for you. Um, some of the tragedies of that long trend in the dollar were people with London bank accounts just swelling in pounds because they just couldn't bear to, you know, to, to exchange into dollars and buy investments. Well, now that the pound has enjoyed a reprieve, I hope that that money starts getting out there for, uh, the everyday investors that are, you know, hesitant to, uh, to put the money to work in dollars. So the message from this podcast is put your money to work, diversify, and um, that even though your investments may be denominated in dollars, that diversification means that you're o- you own assets in multiple currencies. There you go. I'll let Stan have the last word. Uh, thanks, thanks, guys, and uh, th- thanks for listening. Walker Conan Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walker Conan Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific security investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.